I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick as always. Hello, Drew. Today we are going to do pretty much all NFL. I'm going to close out with a little baseball tidbit, my favorite bet in baseball at the moment. I'll give my impassioned speech uh, at the end of the show, but we're going to break down uh, the NFC South in a second. But firstly, some news on the NFL front. Brock Purdy has been cleared to participate in on-field work, Drew. Uh, I don't understand this at all. I think I'm just on <laughs> Island. I'm the only person uh, who I know who has this opinion. But I don't understand how Trey Lance has just been completely written off and just thrown to the wolves. 12 months ago, it was Trey Lance is like a dark horse MVP candidate. He's going to be the next in that mold of mm-hmm. Mahomes, Ryan Jackson, who comes from nowhere to win MVP. It's his team now. Jimmy's been benched. He's the third pick in the draft. He plays one game in a monsoon in Chicago, and then he breaks his ankle, and now he's just done. Like, I don't understand it at all. Like he was, They invested serious capital in him. Uh, I think you have to regress a bit back to the fact that Kyle Shanahan presumably is making the right decision based on everything that he's seeing in practice. But, I mean, what do you make of the Niners and Purdy and Lance and Donald? Yeah, it's as confusing and as intriguing. Any kind of updates that you're going to get all throughout camp, this one is the one that has to be at the top of the list that you look up first. Um, and I agree with you. It's 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 a, it's an un- incredible set of circumstances that Mr. Irrelevant is so clearly entrenched as the number one quarterback for this team for this season, coming off of this significant of a surgery. Considering who else he's in the back, you know, who else is in that QB room. Um, and <clears throat> the only thing I can really glean from everything I've read and heard behind the scenes is, you know, Shanahan is a guy that develops crushes on certain players because they're doing what exactly what he wants to do on the field. And I think to a degree, he must feel like. He's using the specific joysticks to tell Purdy to do exactly this, this, and this. And he's doing, you know, he's, he's executing exactly what he's looking for. And for that reason, he's the guy that he wants out there and trusts to be out there much more so than maybe a guy with a higher ceiling, a, certainly a higher athletic ceiling, a uh, stronger arm and uh, more mobile and maybe even adds a little bit more of a wrinkle to your offense. But doesn't matter if he's not able to do exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants to do when he wants to do it, then he's not as valuable to Kyle Shanahan specifically. And for that reason, he is down, you know, he's, he's slid, slid down the depth chart. Um, I think this is mostly just bad news for Sam Darnold, his comeback player of the year campaign, dead on arrival. Um, and I think realistically, uh, you know, I'm assuming the Niners are not going to incidentally put Purdy in a position where he gets prematurely injured this season. Um, but uh, surely not going to love feeling like, you know, you know, game, game speed against the Steelers defense. That's a, that's a heck of a test week one for a guy who's coming off of this serious injury. So, um, you know, I, for me, at least San Francisco is a weight is a, you know, is, is <clears throat> you have to be kind of patient betting this team um, because I think Purdy, you know, specifically his health, his performance in week 10 should be substantially, uh, you know, better than it is week one. Let's not forget. He only has what seven starts in his career. Uh, you know, so he's continuing to learn on the job in year two and should get better as the year goes on. Um, and maybe I'm going to be the one holding the bag here, but I, I look at this Niners roster top to bottom. It's the best roster in the NFL, in my opinion. This is the number one graded roster for me. Uh, it has holes, certainly. It has issues, certainly. Um, but they have, you know, kind of the highest top end talent, assuming that uh, ultimately they get Nick Bosa in the door. Um, but, uh, you know, they have, they have top end talent. They have strength everywhere you want strength. 
and if uh, if Purdy ultimately you know continues to develop and progress, then with Shanahan you know is calling the offense, this is a team that I'm almost certainly going to want to have a, a Super Bowl future on. Uh, I'm just hopeful that we're going to be able to get a better price than nine to one, which is currently available now. I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get a better price than four to one for the NFC. Um, and one of the reasons that I think it's easy to be so bullish on the Niners is the rest of the NFC West is just so so weak. So. Um, this Niners team should cakewalk to a, you know, a home playoff game, if not a one seed. Uh, and I think the key is just going to be timing our market entry on these guys. And, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm about Purdy, but are you, would, you know, what, what would you put the probability he starts week one? I think it has to be pretty high at this point, given all the reporting, uh, and the fact that the, the infatuation with him, frankly, I, I watched. I think I've seen every second of Brock Purdy's career because I was very invested in Kyle <laughs> Shanahan when he coached of the year, and I was watching every play. And I don't know. I I know his PFF grade is great, EPA per play, and everything, but geez, he makes some bad throws, Brock Purdy, uh, and it, occasionally he does look like Mister Relevant. But certainly, uh, overall, uh, he was incredible relative to expectations. And I think if you're betting on something. You know, not necessarily Super Bowl, but if you're betting on something like division for the Niners, uh, and there wouldn't be too many straight bets on Niners division at this time of year, but be sure there'd be people parlaying them with other teams. Hmm. They probably, as far as I can remember, the most insured team against injury in terms of winning a division, just because they could have any one of three quarterbacks and still clearly be the best team in the division, I think. Whereas you know, if you're betting on the Chiefs, Mahomes never really gets hurt. But if he goes down, then all of a sudden the Chargers, I think, are the clear favorite in that division. So I think that is one angle where they do have an incredibly high floor so long as the health stuff doesn't get too wild. Uh, for the true Brock Purdy truthers, uh, he is 40 to 1 to win MVP, uh, 150 to 1 to win Offensive Player of the Year. Nine is a three point favorite uh, at your Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in week one. Total 41 and a half. All right, let's uh, go to Saquon Barkley, who signed a one-year $11 million deal with the New York Giants. Uh, I think everyone expected that this would ultimately be the outcome in terms of ways to, to bet this or take advantage of it. I think the only way for me is looking at Offensive Player of the Year. And if you hunt around, you can find some 50 to 1, 55 to 1 on Barkley. And I think all the running backs in this market are just too long. I think the market is too biased by the fact that we've had three wide receivers in the past four years win, which, you know, I don't think wide receivers are just going to win 75% of the time going forward. Uh, I think that running backs. Uh, I think the huge part of this award is being seen as, you know, the identity of your offense. Like Michael Thomas was the entirety of the Saints offense in 2019, setting uh, the all-time record for receptions in a season. Cooper Cup was the Rams MVP candidate over Matthew Stafford. And everyone thinks Justin Jefferson is better than Kirk Cousins. Uh, and I think it's in a way it's easier for a running back, you know, in a larger sample to be seen as the identity of the team um, just because, you know, they have the the perception of being a workhorse, of getting 300-plus carries, of, you know, getting close to 2,000 yards. I think that's probably going to happen more for running backs than receivers uh, just in general. So I think that these guys like we talked about Derrick Henry, 40-1, to 1, being too long for Offensive Player of the Year. Saquon, 55-1. to 1. Like Saquon is, I think he's 15-1 to 1 to win the rushing title. Saquon Barkley wins the rushing title. He has to be odds-on to win Offensive Player of the Year, particularly after this contract stuff and the 
I guess, just the narrative around running backs being treated unfairly. I think there'll be such a push to reward, particularly him because he's so beloved. Uh, so that would be my way to bet on this news. I don't really see any other way to do so, but what do you make of Saquon back to the Giants? I don't disagree. Uh, the action was if he actually did hold out, then there was some some you know some angles you could really take because um, right now with Saquon Barkley, uh, the Giants skill position group is still like mid 20s in the NFL. Uh, they have depth, but they have a lot of guys that really just are low ceiling type of players in that room. Um, maybe the one exception is Darren Waller, but who knows if he can stay healthy. And so I think if you had taken him out of the picture and then that group falls into like bottom five, all of a sudden there's a ton of pressure on this group as a unit. Um, I, you know, he's Barkley to me, at least he's kind of in the eight to 10 in terms of like value from among running backs in the NFL, maybe a little bit higher, but his DNA is boomer bust. And if you are a running back that has the potential to make game breaking plays, then the defense has to prepare for you a little bit differently. And with him out there, the Giants have a little bit more room to scheme Daniel Jones into some of uh, the type of uh, offense that we saw them be so successful in, particularly uh, in the playoffs uh, against the Giants uh, against the uh, Vikings last year. I mean, that was a lot of that space was created because the defense had to respect the you know the 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 fact that uh, Saquon Barkley was capable of hitting a home run. Um, and now, you know, it's still a team overall that looks pretty fatally flawed at certain positional groups, particularly in the defensive side of the ball for what they want to do from a scheme standpoint. Uh, and so if Barkley's out there and he's healthy, then this is a pretty clear over team for me uh, because they're going to give up points, uh, but they have a lot more flexibility in Dable's scheme uh, and the offense to, uh, to answer. Uh, and so if I was to make any bet on this news, it would probably be over 46 and a half on Sunday night football week one, uh, just because the Cowboys are going to get theirs in that game. The secondary for the giants is far, far, far too weak to keep the Cowboys team, uh, into the low twenties into just a, gr- a gross grinded out kind of game. Uh, and now with their ability to answer, you know, particularly with their ability to create space, get some opportunities to go up against the one weakness in the Cowboys defense, which is their off ball linebacking core. I think that does actually set up pretty well for uh, this game to go over uh, the 46 and a half. So that was kind of, I was, I was ready to break hard under if Barkley missed this game and now with him in the fold and a hundred percent healthy, I think the look is over. Yep. And to your point about Barkley's health, um, I think a key thing was just talking about him is that, he was. He looked incredible to start the season. He had that 164-yard game against the Titans in week one, and then he was amazing the first two months of the season. He got into like minus 400 uh, to win comeback player of the year. And then he had a month where he just he just physically didn't look right, didn't look like the same guy at all, and I think people came off the Barkley bandwagon. And then he had that huge game, uh, I think, on Sunday Night Football against the Commanders where he had the two uh, kind of like LeBron James spin moves on Andre Iguodala in the uh, 2016 finals type of thing where he was just breaking tackles uh, and he looked like Saquon again and then he was uh, super efficient uh, to close uh, the season. Uh, Any other notes from Camp Drew? Yeah, a lot of noise. (laughs) Everybody's in the best shape of their life. Uh, Turns out, yeah, everybody's making plays. Uh, It's it's a lot of positive buzz. But the two notes that really stood out to me, it looks to me uh, pretty likely that uh, CJ Stroud is going to get the week one start for the Texans. Bryce Young going to get the week one start for the Panthers. Now, this was kind of expected, um, but they're getting all of the first team reps. And and that's, I think, a pretty clear sign that they are ready to get the week one starts. Uh, 
Anthony Richardson's still refreshing the Colts uh, beat daily. I mean, it does seem like Gardner Minshew has the playbook a little bit more uh, solidly down. Uh, and so, you know, it'll be a pretty clear vote of confidence in Richardson if he gets to start week one versus if they want to allow him a couple more weeks to get some reps. So um, those are the key notes and just in terms of how many rookies are going to start week one in terms of uh, betting the NFL. And it looks like uh, as of a couple hours ago, Frank Reich is actually yeah. officially uh, tabbed Bryce Young as the starter, uh, as expected. And we'll talk about the Panthers uh, in a second in our NFC South preview. But firstly, with the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code draft2023 to save 20% at checkout. NFC South, we'll get to the Panthers momentarily, but let's start off with the New Orleans Saints. They are the favorite to win the division at plus 125, minus 160, make the playoffs, win total nine and a half, juiced under 12 to one to win the NFC, 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. One of the stranger teams uh, in football. I think they probably ended last season as the best team in the NFC South with just how the Bucs had tailed off and the way that defense was playing, the way they took down the Eagles, admittedly with Gardner Minshew. Uh, but they were playing at a relatively decent level towards the end of the season. Uh, do you think that the Saints being you know, pretty aggressively favored in this division is warranted? I don't. Um, a lot of questions for me about this coaching staff. A lot of questions for me about the roster changes that happened over the offseason. A lot of questions about how the kind of true blue, the blue chip players on this roster, how are they going to age? Because they are now in that portion of the, uh, uh, you know, of their careers where you're going to start to see some of them decline. Um, and the fact that, you know, the guys that were let, they let walk out the door were sort of the, you know, kind of the developing prospects and the younger players that, you know, the Marcus Davenport's didn't ever realize his potential in new Orleans, but, uh, you know, to go to war with this, uh, D line, having lost on Yamada, having lost, uh, uh, Davenport, all of a sudden a uh, strength turns into a weakness. Um, you're now counting on, you know, Demario Davis to continue to anchor a defense when he's entering his what age 36 season. Uh, I don't have his age in front of me, but, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly getting up there and then, uh, you know, didn't really do anything to address some of the weaknesses in the secondary. So, um, you know, this was a pretty clear, I thought, top five defense on paper last year. Uh, and that was really what kept them in games as their offense was, you know, nothing to write home about. Uh, and I have them entering this season as the 22nd best defense on paper, considering the losses of, in terms of personnel. Uh, offense, I have 19th best. Uh, and so in total, I think a lot of things are going to have to go right for these guys to realize their potential as, uh, you know, favorites in the in the NFC South, uh, which means you can kind of take a take a shot on someone else here at a price. Uh, which is where my head is at, really, because uh, this the schedule is weak for the for the Saints. But overall, I don't think people have fully digested some of the losses uh, that they've uh, you know that they've absorbed across the uh, the team here. I also don't grade their offensive line as well as other people are talking about them, which I think pairs poorly uh, with the arrival of Derek Carr, who in general has performed his best with superlative protection. So, uh, to me, the Saints are a bet against at least to start the season. 
Yeah, and Derek Carr wasn't very good last year, admittedly not in an amazing context uh, in Las Vegas with a uh, weak offensive line. I think his tackle situation is probably better uh, in New Orleans, but the interior of the line isn't great. Uh, I think on defense, one thing is last year, Lattimore was in and out. He didn't really look like himself when he was in. Olave missed time, and he was their best player on offense. Michael Thomas missed you know, effectively the whole season, uh, as he is prone to do. Just quickly, on Michael Thomas, I think he's one of the most, I think, compelling elements of the team where we, like, we forget the last time that he was fully healthy for a season, which admittedly was a very long time ago. Uh, but in 2019, he had over 1,700 yards. He won Offensive Player of the Year. He was, by margin, the best wide receiver in the game. It seems like he's fully healthy now and is being a full participant in practices. Uh, and he's only 30 years old, Michael Thomas. He's the same age as Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup. And if he's gotten over his health issues, which you know would be a pretty significant dog at this point uh, for him to have done that. But one, uh, I would be looking to bet like alternate overs on Michael Thomas just because of the upside and the scope. Uh, if you can yeah, find those markets, uh, I think those are worth a play. Uh, just new quarterback as well, creates some upside there. And also if he's good and then it's Thomas and Chris Olave, then all of a sudden I think the whole complexion of the team is different. So I think Olave is just a superstar uh, yeah. and will be one of the you know, top 10 to 15 wide receivers in the game for a long time. So that's probably the most compelling element uh, to me for the Saints is what those wide receivers look like. If Carr can get any better than the level he showed last year, I don't think there are really any appealing awards bets Around the Saints, Derek Carr will not be winning MVP. Uh, Chris Olave will, will not be winning Offensive Player of the Year, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dennis Allen, 20-1, to 1, Coach of the Year. I, I don't think he can win that unless they get a one seed. Uh, yeah. I don't really want to bet on the Saints to get a one seed. Uh, mm-hmm. Ready to move on to the Falcons? Yeah, I can't really add anything to that. I agree with your breakdown. I will only say that there's upside here. You have to recognize that. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pessimism. I'm pessimistic relative to price. That's, that's kind of the key for me. Yep. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, if, if Trevor Penning is a good left tackle and you're giving, you know, Derek Carr time, yeah, maybe, maybe this is an offense that's in the top half of the league, not the bottom. Uh, if Michael Thomas is available for the balance of the season, then yeah, that, that he's absolutely going to completely change the complexion of the offense because I agree Olave is uh, a superstar and they even have some young players like Rashid Shahid that are worth mentioning as potential breakouts. So, you know, like there certainly is uh, an upside here. Um not not enamored by the coaching staff and what we saw from these guys last year. So that's probably the kind of, that was sort of the tipping point I needed to just say, look, a lot of availability questions, health, coaching, all of it kind of added up into a stew. You look at them at the top of the division, top of the board, and it's like, this is an easy one that I think you look down the board for a longer shot. Yeah, and I think that uh, Dennis Allen cost me a lot of money when he lost that sixteen to three lead against the Bucks. Had the Saints for the division, uh, had the Panthers for the division also, and he kind of shot those both down yeah. uh, with that debacle, uh, losing that game. I think there's just a natural unease and apprehension of betting a team that I don't know off the top of my head what are the Saints like the seventeenth, eighteenth best team in football, and betting the seventeenth, eighteenth best team in football. Uh, at plus 125 to win a division just yeah. creates some unease, rightfully or uh, wrongly. But let's yeah. move on to the Falcons, uh, who, in a strange way, are kind of an exciting team this season. Win total is over, uh, it's under over eight and a half. 
slightly backed to the over plus 120 to make the playoffs plus 220 to win the division most pertinently for this 28 to one to win the nfc i don't think they're ready for that uh talk about the falcons just overall but i think there are some compelling awards bets around this team i think Bijan robinson plus 250 i think that is just largely a bet on health and then no outlier quarterback performance like Tyler Algier had 1,035 rushing yards in a, like a true timeshare with only 210 carries last year. I think that Bijan should smash through that with health mm-hmm. uh, and will be you know one of the most captivating players in the league. Uh, and then we'll get to Arthur Smith, coach of the year in a second. But what do you make of this team uh, and their chances of winning the division? Yeah, so I don't have many hot takes in the NFL yet. Uh, the market's not stupid. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of good, you know, everything's priced pretty well. Um, maybe one of the hottest is I think that this Falcons defense is top 10, um, wow. much in the same way that I don't think people have fully uh, di- digested uh, the losses to the Saints defense. I don't think they've fully digested how much capital the Sa- the uh, Falcons have put into their defense, particularly, um, you know, the doing it in, in on mass, right? They didn't go out and get a superstar. They didn't get a guy whose name you know you're immediately going to recognize as well. He's obviously a difference maker. Uh, they did it by investing in a lot of guys who are just flat out good. And honestly, a lot of the guys that they played a lot of defensive snaps last year were not good. And so there is going to be a meaningful upgrade in this unit overall. Like just off the you know just the the top uh, six acquisitions for them in free agency were David Onyemata. He's a plus player. Jesse Bates, he's a plus-plus player for me. Uh, Kalei Campbell, I still think, has gas in the tank as a pass rusher, if, if not every down guy, at least a specialist. Uh, and Caden Ellis uh, is solid linebacker addition. Bud Dupree, solid linebacker addition, solid pass rusher. And uh, Jeff Okuda, uh, solid addition to put opposite uh, uh, AJ Terrell. Now, any of those guys in a vacuum, not going to move the needle, but I think you've done enough as, a, uh, as an overall unit uh, that you know, combined with uh, you know the the, the experience and uh, you know familiarity that uh, they have with the new defensive coordinator, who they brought over from the Saints, with a lot of these guys that played for the Saints last year, like it all does, you know, looks like uh, synergy to me with this defense. And I think if the defense is you know is top ten, then all of a sudden this NFC South is yours to lose. Um, because as we know, Arthur Smith can coach an offense built around the running game. And not only does he have a, a, a rising player in Tyler Algier, uh, an outstanding offensive line, but as you mentioned, the, uh, the potential for a rookie breakout season from uh, B. John Robinson. So, uh, you know, they're, to me at least, and I'll test you on this and you could agree or disagree, I do not think that there is a quarterback in the NFL under less pressure than Desmond Ritter. He literally has virtually is going to be asked to do nothing except for play mistake free football and let everybody else do their jobs. And this team should win 10 games. Now, if Ritter actually is surprisingly good, uh, which, you know, I'm not willing to put my my flag that far (laughs) with this Falcons team. But, you know, if he's if he shows flashes, if he makes plays, if he develops with the young wide receiver tight end group, you got um, all of a sudden you could be talking about, you know, a a team that could surprise and steal a one seed in a week NFC, in my opinion. So uh, I, I see median expectation for this Falcons team, nine, 10 wins. Um, largely based on strength of the defense, strength of the running game. 
Uh, and I think, uh, you know, they're built in a unique way to, to test sort of what defensive scheme has been uh, trending to in the NFL for a couple of years now. They can kind of specifically attack that well. We saw it last year with Marcus Mariota under center. So this, you know, realistically with the talent they've added, I think this is the clear bet in this division. Uh, and I think there's an upside on this team that people have not gotten to yet. Yep, I like it. I think the hope with Ritter or Heineke, if that's the situation that evolves, is that, you know, Ritter's situation wasn't great last season in terms of what was around him, I think, but there's more scope this year. Offensive line is still excellent, but now you add a weapon in Bijan, Drake London into his second year. Kyle Pitts just has to be better, you would think, and then you hope that Ritter uh, can succeed on more of the Brock Purdy wavelength than, actually, than having to, you know, take over uh, and, you know, him being the centre of the offence. I think, to me, the thing about this team is just the schedule. Like, they're All season are at Detroit, at the Jets, and then the third hardest game is probably at the Saints, I guess. Uh, Jags in London, like there's just nothing on this at all. Uh, So if they're just the, if they are the 13th, 14th best team in the NFL, like they might be able to go 12 and five uh, just by virtue of uh, being in this division. Uh, and having and being able to play the AFC South on the other side, uh, they yeah they're a team that I think is is well poised to go on a run. And so so we like the Falcons. It's clear we like the Falcons. <laughs> what is the best way? What is the best yeah. way to bet the Falcons? Uh, Arthur Smith, fourteen to one coach of the year. Now my question to you would be that like at what point does Arthur Smith? What, at what point? Does the Falcons' record make Arthur Smith favorite over the field to win Coach of the Year? Because I do think there is going to be an element of this division's not very good. They've got an easy schedule. I don't think him going 10 and 7 and winning the NFC South with that type of record, I don't think that's going to win him Coach of the Year. The other problem that they have is that they don't play in primetime a single time. And so uh, I think I made this three out of 10 joke before, but like if a a tree falls over in the forest, if uh, Arthur Smith goes 11 and six on the Falcons, does anyone hear it? Uh, So I think that that is working against him too, but there is a point surely where he will win with a certain record. So what, what do you reckon that number has to be? Yeah, it's gotta be the one seed. And I think to get the one seed, you're talking about 11 to 12 wins. Um, I think the NFC is weak enough and the, you know, your, your other, I mean, really, it's 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 Niners versus Falcons. I think for the, you know, I mean, you know, if if, if in that world, right? Like, you know, Niners have same sort of thing you talked about with the Falcons in terms of easy schedule. They have a couple more challenging games, but um, you know, I, I think realistically, the you need to you need to at least be a top two seed, and uh, that's probably going to take eleven wins this year. Um, and I think that's doable, but I also think that. Um, you know, one seed NFC may be a better market because you are suffering from exactly what you mentioned. Two huge, two huge issues. One is the, definitely the brand recognition of the Falcons and Smith himself is an issue. Um, and uh, two, and I think this actually hurts Lafleur as well. And I know I have bets on him and you do too, but I think there's there's going to be a bit of a penalty for if those guys do well. People are going to be like, yeah, but they, the divisions were really weak. You know, like people are going to hold it against them that, well, yeah, who'd you beat? You know, like, you you know, the recognition of an easy schedule could matter. 
for these guys, um, especially if there's a team in the AFC who pops and they do it against tougher competition. I think that uh, that's probably what you're up against. But no, fourteen to one. I would I would price that. I would price shop that against uh, uh, Falcons to get the one seed. And then there's but there is certainly a window where the Falcons finish with the two seed. People are shocked at how good the team is overall. Shocked at how good Ritter is. Um, impressed by a top five defense, top 10 defense kind of performance. And then all of a sudden uh, he's your guy. So um, yeah, I need to think about that a little more. I think. I think there's, so there's 16 to one on MGM to get the one seed. I'd rather back 14 to one coach of the year okay. at that point. If, if Arthur Smith gets the one seed, he takes it out of voters' hands. Then you have to vote for him. I don't think there's really anything realistically <laughs> that can beat that unless, you know, the Texans go 17 and 0 or whatever. Uh, yeah. But I think that. Uh, he can definitely win as a two seed. I think I would make him favorite at 12 and five. That's probably what you need to get to. And I think that they're okay. probably shorter than 14 to one to get to 12 and five. So I think that 14 to one is not a bad bet when you consider their schedule. And most importantly, there's no star quarterback who's going to take any credit away from Arthur Smith, uh, which is very key for coach of the year. All right. Before we get to the Panthers, it is a star-studded battle this Sunday on MLB leadoff as Shohei Otani and the Angels travel north of the border to face Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the Blue Jays. Blue Jays coming off a ridiculous loss to the Dodgers uh, on uh, on Tuesday night, blowing a 7-3 lead in the ninth. Find out if there will be fireworks at Rogers Center at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. That is a good one. All right, let's go to the Carolina Panthers. Their win total is seven and a half, pretty evenly backed. Plus 165 to make the playoffs, plus 350 to win the NFC South, 20 to one to get the one seed. Uh, what do you make of this team? Do you think they have enough upside to win the division? It's all defensive upside for me. Uh, this is an offense that I have huge questions about. Um, you know, we can you can say the same things about uh, you know the Falcons and the quarterback situation. Surely, uh, very you know very very fair to assume that uh, Bryce Young could outperform Desmond Ritter this year. Sure, but uh, the cast of characters that he's working with there, the skill position group in particular, is pretty questionable. I kind of didn't even really reflect, re- like understand or respect how important DJ Moore was to the Panthers last year. His usage and his target share were like. Tough. It, it was. It's tough to wrap your head around how 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 um, uh, key he was for them and what they wanted to do with their offense. And uh, giving him up in the deal to bring Bryce Young in, I think, is going to have some impact. Um, the swings that they've taken to backfill him, uh, DJ Chark, Adam Thielen. Don't move the needle for me. I don't know that either guy is really going to be able to perform above replacement level. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, I know they've been kind of talking about using him as sort of a jack of all trades uh, and, you know, and, and supplementing uh, the running game around Miles Sanders. But, you know, I, you're going to realistically need either your sec- your third year guy and Terrence Marshall Jr. or Jonathan Mingo to completely shock the world and be able to step into that role that DJ uh, has DJ Moore has vacated. Um because of that, I think that the kind of the upside for the this this Panthers team is is capped, despite having a really really good defense uh, coordinated by one of the up and coming you know names in coaching circles uh, in Jero Evero. Um, they have a top tier top tier talent, top tier 
star power at every level of the defense. Uh, Derek Brown is starting to round into a true disruptor on the interior of the defensive line. Um, I like the move to bring in Shai Tuttle, although he's not a guy that moves the needle for anyone else, probably. <laughs> and uh, Brian Burns, awesome. Shaq Thompson, awesome. J.C. Horn, high expectations. Von Bell, a nice job taking him away from Cincinnati. You know, solid, strong safety to, to put alongside some of these other pieces. Jeremy Chin, I didn't even mention him. He's the most important player in there. Uh, secondary, excited to see what role he has in an Ejero Evero uh, coordinated defense. So, I think this Panthers team is going to hold teams into the low twenties, uh, teens, uh, particularly considering the you know how soft some of their opponents are, and you know they're they're just going up against very very few top tier quarterbacks, um, and so from a you know yards per play, from a you know points conceded, I can see the Panthers finishing the season as high as top five defensively with this schedule, uh, which gives them upside surely. Um, but they're going to need to score into the 20s. And that entirely depends on how Bryce Young fits with this system. Um, they have a lot of really good coordinators in Carolina. So like, if he surprises to the good, I don't think any of us really should be that shocked. Um, but, you know, banking your hopes on a rookie quarterback, I've been burnt way too many times in my life to think that this is going to work spectacularly out of the gate uh, considering what he has to work with in terms of skill position players. So I want to have a, I want to have a, you know, a bullish feelings about this team overall. Cause I like so many things that they did in the off season, but uh, I think we're a year early. Yeah, I agree. I think the defense could be awesome with top five potential to your points uh, just loaded with names and talent. I think also I'm buying Frank Reich stock in generally someone who had, uh, as we've talked about ad nauseum at this point, uh, two years ago, Jonathan Taylor, Offensive Player of the Year, watching every Colts game, couldn't have been more impressed with Frank Reich and his play calling and the scheme of what we was able, to, how he was able to hide Carson Wentz uh, and accentuate the strengths of that offense. But I think I just come back to the fact that it's a rookie quarterback with just the receiving core that not only just isn't great on paper, but just doesn't really have much variance, I think, just looking sure. at the name. Like Adam yep. Thielen just doesn't have variance. There's no real upside at this point. DJ Chark, uh, Terrace Marshall Jr., maybe a little bit more. I mean, they have a good, I think, a good enough offensive line uh, and bringing in Miles Sanders, uh, who was decent last year. Uh, I think that the running game should be okay. And if maybe Bryce Young is, is better than anticipated and you know they find their way to the 20th best offense with the fourth best defense and that's enough to win the division i think that's certainly in play but uh i don't think this team has you know the 12 plus win realistic upside that that a team like the falcons uh has so uh, in terms of awards bets bryce young plus 450 again just with the receivers uh i just don't really see it Brian Burns, Defensive Player of the Year, 30 to 1. I don't think so. Frank Reich, 25 to 1, Coach of the Year. Reich is a guy who I think that the people really like and was came off as extremely likable on hard knocks and all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. and that is a creative play caller. Uh, and also the the way that you know that coaches will get coach of the year credit is that Indianapolis season in 2021 when they were like 10 and 5 or 10 and 6 or whatever going down the stretch, that kind of record normally you can't win coach of the year, but Reich was getting a lot of buzz uh, and he was never actually going to win, but people were putting him in the top four, top five. Uh, and so that kind of stuff is an indicator that, you know, the media really likes you. So I think that, you know, if they were to go 12 and 5, 
uh, and get a three seed, then he could win. Uh, but I don't really see that happening uh, at this point. Yeah, yeah, there's one other key wrinkle in that, though, Jay. And that was he was winning down the stretch, and he got where they got because they started quite poorly. And yes. I do not know if this is like actionable signal or noise, but Frank Reich teams... They start poorly. You combine yeah. that with a rookie quarterback and roles undefined in the uh, in the wide receiver room. I am perfectly fine being wait and see entirely about uh, the uh, Carolina Panthers, and I think they are probably going to make a decent bet against early in the season if your if your quarterback has a pulse. Yep, I agreed there. All right, let's close out with the only team that we could ever close out with: the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Their win total is six and a half backed under plus 350 uh, to make the playoffs plus 750. It's a long price in a division like this, but it may be warranted. Uh, so, yeah, plus one, plus 750 to win the NFC South, 150 to one to win the Super Bowl uh, if you'd like to light that money on fire. Uh, what do you think of the <laughs> plus 750? You know, I would always look at the Charlotte Hornets to win the Southeast Division at 50 to one when they were terrible. Yeah. Just is so bad uh any scope for the bucks uh not for me um i think the the first and foremost thing you think about when you look at a team like the bucks that's bringing in a quarterback in baker mayfield you try to try you try to sell yourself on the how will this you know will this work right is there upside that's the market is missing here and when i look at you know the you, you look at skill position first you know, and you're like, whoa, there's some good wide receivers here. Uh, there's some great wide receivers here. Um, you look at, uh, you know, scheme second. Don't really know what to make of the scheme. And then third, and maybe more importantly for a guy like Baker Mayfield, you look at the offensive line. And the interior of this offensive line was basically their undoing last year. Um, they win the division with eight wins, which is in hindsight still pretty amazing, uh, especially considering some of their absolute fluky wins down the stretch, including the one you mentioned already about this against the Saints. Um, but uh, the interior offensive line, Brady was able to manifest magic in spite of it uh, by getting the ball out so quickly last year. This has been covered ad nauseum, so I don't know, need to get into the details, but. Um, the idea that Baker Mayfield is going to be able to replicate that in any way with the same sort of performance from the interior offensive line, uh-uh, not buying it, not expecting anything good to happen here. I think that if he is under duress uh, early and often, then this offense goes right over the cliff. And if they lose four or five games in their first six or seven, if they lose six or seven games in their first six or seven, which is not crazy, um, then all of a sudden this is a team that is probably selling parts like Mike Evans. This is probably selling parts on the defense. Um, the defense has certainly has some star power. Um, the only group that ranks top 10 for me is the linebacking group, and that's obviously not where you want to be the strongest on defense. You'd much rather have a, uh, you know, a premier pass rush or premier, you know, secondary. And I don't rate them either one of those as t league, league top half of the league. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a unit that I think can be exploited, can be exposed. They're not going to be able to keep them in games. Todd Bowles is not a guy that I think is, you know, long term, you know, stability in Tampa. Um, and so the front office could make a pretty sincere decision at some point during this season that this is a 
tankathon for you know our next franchise quarterback. And that's probably the right decision because they're eating a lot of salary this year. They're going to be able to wipe the books in a lot of ways next year. Um, and I think uh, you know there's there's certainly pieces to build around on this roster, uh, and it's it's just a matter of who they elect to keep around. I think in terms of um, uh, you know getting uh, getting turned around quickly in Tampa, but this is a pretty obvious alt under type of team for me. Yep, and they are plus eight fifty to have the worst record in the league. Only the Cardinals at plus two twenty five are shorter. I think that's warranted. To me, it's a massive red flag that. As bad as Baker Mayfield looked in Carolina, that Sam Darnold came into that situation and looked a lot better uh, than Mayfield after. And though Mayfield came in late yeah. and they looked maybe a little bit better on the Rams, but still didn't look great. They didn't have much to work with. And it like it has to be favorite that, you know, if he wins that job uh, officially, that, you know, it has to be favorite that he loses that job at some point during the yeah. season, I would think. And, you know, maybe there's a path to the defense being solid, but. I think they're still lacking a little bit for a pass rush. And then offensively, the offensive line is a big concern. Evans and Godwin, uh, I don't think, are the guys who they were two years ago. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't expect that you know, they're very possibly on different teams. All right, let's – and there's no awards bets for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can confirm the top I, I, By the way, I can't, I can't play them worst record at that price either. No, um, I, I, I have yeah. get hurt. Like, yeah, too, I have uh, I have uh, too many good players. There's just too many good players in this team. They're the, they're about the 25th best roster by my ratings. Yep, I think that's fair. And they play in the NFC South, so they should. Be able to <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna close out. Uh, pivot uh, from the NFC South to the AL East. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna give out my best baseball bet at the moment. I don't think we've talked about this one yet. Uh, it's in the AL Cy Young market, which this is the look basically. Is that I think it's a very uninspiring market at the moment. For some reason, Garrett Cole is plus 160. He's having the fifth best season of his career. His strikeouts are down, walks are up. Underlying numbers aren't great, and he's on a very disappointing Yankees team. Like I think he should be more like plus 450, plus 500. And in a cluster of the other guys, like... Valdez, Yuvaldi, uh, Gosman, McClanahan. Uh, I think these are all just kind of the same guy at the moment with ERAs hovering around three. They all have their nuanced strengths and weaknesses, but none of these guys are inspiring. And to me, the only inspiring pitcher in the AL right now is Felix Bautista, uh, who's 60 to 1 on MGM. If you hunt around, uh, I think there's still some 100 to 1 available. And uh, let me make the case to you, Drew. Okay. He's leading the league in saves right now with 28. He's got a 0.92 ERA, and the key is he is striking out 18 guys per nine. So it's two strikeouts per inning. The mountain is out of his mind. For guys with more than 40 innings in the AL, he ranks first in ERA, first in whip, first in K rate, first in FIP, and the key to me is win probability added. He has added, uh, in terms of win probability, 3.7 wins to Baltimore, no other player in the AL, no other pitcher has added more than 2.7. So he is the key best performer in high leverage moments uh, who has shifted win probability more than any pitcher in the AL. I just think the idea of giving Cy Young to Garrett Cole versus rewarding uh, Bautista, who is having an outlier great reliever season, 
on a team right now that is the best story in baseball, the Orioles, who have the best record in the American League, like voters have to feel good about their vote. Here's the other thing with baseball. It's not like the NBA or NFL where everyone votes for every award. In baseball, you generally only get one award to vote for, max two. So you pay. I think you just pay more attention to your vote and you have to feel good about it. And right now, Felix Bautista is the only guy I think you can feel really good about and obviously, you know, it could all blow up. He'd give up two run, three runs his next inning, uh, and all of a sudden he's in big trouble. But I think if he keeps his ERA under one, leads the league in saves, uh, gets his war to around five, which is in the realms of possibility, yeah. then all of a sudden, like, I think he's very live to be the first closer since Eric Gagne in 2003 to win this. Zach Britton in 2006 was right in the mix, and I know he had a .54 ERA. He was dominant, but he wasn't the same. It wasn't the same level of dominance as Bautista. Bautista just visually, like, it's just insane. Like, I've never seen a pitcher make hitters look more helpless than Bautista does, and I think that stuff matters. Where No one thought Zach Britton was the best pitcher in baseball. They might think that Felix Bautista is the best pitcher, I think that with the win probability stuff and the high leverage stuff, I think I might vote for him today, honestly. Like, remove all bets out of it. I think he might be the most deserving candidate. And he's 60 to 1 to 100 to 1. So what do you think? Felix Bautista, AL Cy Young. So the funny thing is, uh, in our prep, our show prep, uh, I knew this was the market you were looking at. And so I went to fan graphs and I clicked starters and went through the advanced stats and I'm going through everything. I'm like, man... I, like I have no <laughs> idea. These are all super uninspiring candidates. So the fact that you came in with a closer surprised me. And uh, I think that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, none of these starters are having standout campaigns and the idea of like, giving it to Garrett Cole and the Yankees, considering what this team is doing. Hmm. Not, 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 a, not, not something that I would buy into at all. The win probability added that you mentioned is pretty notable. Like, wow, he, he is head and shoulders above the rest of these guys in the AL in terms of pitching. Um, and uh, yeah, the, there really is not a, another good case. So I think really what we need to do is start hyping this because no one's buzzing about this, Jay. But once they do, you, he needs a campaign. He needs, a, he needs people to start talking about this. Uh, Bautista is a serious candidate for Cy Young. Let's start beating the drum. Uh, we'll close the show with it every day from now until football <laughs> season, and then uh, it'll, we'll, we'll make it a reality. Yeah, this is a mountain podcast right now. I'll tell the great thing. He's got the nickname, the mountain. He's loving. He's also just the best watch in baseball at the moment. He's striking out 18 guys per nine. I think Spencer Strider's at 14. Like, he's insane. You watch his splitter. It's the most unhittable pitch in baseball. At least awesome. it looks like it to me. I haven't studied the numbers there. Uh, but I think the Bautista, I think he is very live. And to me, it just comes back to when there are uninspiring fields, that's when outliers emerge and people yeah. have to feel good about their vote. That's why Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year because it was a weak field and people wanted to reward the best team and feel good about their vote. And he was the best candidate for that. And I think there is very clearly a path for Bautista to be the best candidate that uh, that people uh, consider at the end of the season. So there we go. Felix Bautista. Uh, what a great way to close off our NFC South preview with uh, the great mountain. All right. Don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks for those of you watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, please don't forget to rate and subscribe. Also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. 
just head to amazon.com slash mbcsports. From Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick, we'll see you next week.